How many of you have ever felt like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this or not? Now, let me try that again because I had a bunch of liars just now. How many of you have ever felt like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this or not? And then you made it through, not by might or power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Right? All right. We started a series last weekend that we're calling Bible Blockbusters, and I told you I was going to name every one of the messages after a reality TV show so that you'd remember them. So last week we talked about fear factor. This side got it, this side. No, I'm kidding. Today we're going to talk about survivor. Next week we're going to talk about lost. But today, survivor. And we're going to look at one of the, my favorite, as a matter of fact, it is my favorite Old Testament story, the story of Joseph. I never read this starting at Genesis 37 all the way through the end of Genesis. I think 13 chapters or so are dedicated to the story of Joseph. You weep every time you read it. It is Shakespearean tragedy and triumph to the max. Uh, it's an incredible story. I want to read a couple of verses out of it, and then I want to talk to you about Joseph and being a survivor. And Joseph not only survived, but he thrived. And I believe it's God's will that every believer not just survive, not just get by, but thrive by the Spirit of God. Now, let's look right into a dysfunctional family. Look why it was dysfunctional. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. He showed favoritism. How many of you know that's a recipe for trouble? All right, he loved him more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a coat or a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they did what? They hated him. Now, hatred in a household is poison. They hated him and could not even speak peaceably to him. They couldn't even say, hey, have a good day. Their hatred was so great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph. And thank you, Lord, that he is a survivor. He survived and thrived because of what we're going to be looking at today. I pray for those that are struggling, that are up against a temptation or a trial, a testing. And they're really wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to get through this? I pray you will sow a seed of faith into them and strengthen them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, survive and thrive, and you can be seated. Survive and thrive. Good to have you here on Labor Day weekend. How many of you have tomorrow off? Oh, wow. Woohoo. All right. By the way, don't forget, if you're not registered to vote, we got a table set out there for you, uh, set up for you. Go grab a voter registration card and get ready to vote. Now, let me just talk to you about Joseph. Quick biographical sketch. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, the third of the patriarchs. Jacob had 12 sons. Now, six of them were by one of his wives, Leah. Four of them were by two handmaids, and two of them were by Rachel. 
So he had 12 sons in all. The Bible lets us know that not only did he show favoritism to his boys because he loved uh, Joseph more than the rest, but he also showed favoritism to the wives. He had two wives. I don't know why anybody would ever want to do that because one is all you can handle and the wives would say, one man's all I can handle. Can I have an amen? amen? All right. But he had two. Polygamy was allowed in those days. And he showed favoritism because it says he, that Leah bore him more children, but he loved Rachel. So you had in this home constant competition for attention, for affection from this man, Jacob. Now he loved Joseph so much that he made him a coat of many colors, which is a sign of his favor towards Joseph. He favored him. So he wore this flashy coat around, many colors. None of the other boys had one, and it just sort of smacked of, yeah, this is my favorite boy, and Joseph was really the, the teacher's pet. Now, Joseph was a dreamer. God began to speak to him when he was a teenager, and he spoke to him through dreams. And in these dreams, he saw something. He saw himself in a very exalted position, and he saw his brothers bowing down to him and his parents. And he didn't have the wisdom not to go tell that. So he went up to his brothers who already didn't like him at all. said, guess what? I had a dream. It was from God. I saw your future and mine. Really? Well, what did you see? You were bowing down to me, dude. Let me promise you, they went from dislike to hatred right there. He went to his daddy, Jacob, and said, I saw you bowing down to me. And Jacob said, what are you talking about? Don't quit talking that stuff. But Jacob had had a dream. And the Bible lets us know it was a word from God. It was a word from God. Now, apparently also, being real close to Jacob and coddled by Jacob and sort of had an inside tra track to Jacob, the Bible tells us one day Joseph came in out of the field where all of his brothers had been and gave a bad report of his brothers to daddy. So he was a snitch. He's doing all kinds of things that are not gaining points with his brothers. Well, the Bible says that one day Jacob said, go out in the field and check on your brothers. So he was kind of daddy's scout. So he sent him out. The brothers saw him coming and said, we'll see what happens to this dreamer. We, we'll see about this dreamer. And they found an empty well. Now this well was probably 10 to 15 feet deep or more because they dug deep for water. It was dry. They grabbed him. They tore the coat of daddy's favor off of him which is when you are anointed of God, there are people that want to tear it off of you. When you have favor, there are people that will be jealous of you. And they want to tear the favor away. So they, they attacked this signal, this sign of Jacob's love and tore it off of him. And they threw him down into this well. Not a funny joke, guys. I think Joseph was going, this isn't funny. I know you're mad at me, but this isn't funny. Way down in there in the dark, can't move, claustrophobic. He's in a well. You know how hard-hearted they were? It says they threw him down there and then they sat down and ate lunch. That's hard-hearted. Sat down and ate lunch. Talked about the weather while their little brother is down there, tormented, confused, crying to get out. They said, we ought to kill him. Well, Reuben stepped in and said, no, 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 don't kill the boy. 
We can figure something else out. They saw some Ishmaelite slave traders coming down the road. Big caravan of slave traders. They said, we'll sell him. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. So great was the hatred that they could eat with him in that pit. So great was the hatred. They could even consider selling him. They pulled him out of the pit. And I think he probably said, man, that wasn't a funny joke. I'm going home. But he looked at their face and knew this is serious because they furrow-browed, angry face. They took him up to the slave traders and said, what do you give us for, for this young man? They paid for him. They shackled him according to the psalmist. They shackled him, chained him, and put him in this caravan and began to take him away. Now here's Joseph. You talk about confused. You talk about shattered. You talk about blown away. He's sitting here. He's chained up. These are people. He doesn't know their language. He doesn't know their culture. He doesn't know what's going on. He loves his daddy. He loves his home. He's a homeboy. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's attached to the promised land. That's all he's ever known. Now he's being taken away where he knows not to a destiny he knows not. And as he's taken away, he's looking at the faces of his brothers, mean, hard, uncaring, hateful. To them, that's it. He's gone. He's taken to Egypt. In Egypt, he's put on a slave block, and he is sold to the highest bidder. you got to be kidding me. How can this be happening? How could they have done this to me? Surely they're going to show up and say, hey, we, we, we weren't clear on what we were thinking. This was a big mistake. Come on, home. No. So a man named Potiphar said, I'll, I'll pay this much, and he outbid everybody else, and he got Joseph, and he took him to his house. And Joseph began to serve as a slave, as a servant. As an indentured servant, he began to serve as a slave. And the Bible says that God was with him, which shows me that you can go through hell and back, and God is still with you in the tough times. He's still favoring you. You may have all kinds of things going wrong, but the favor of God overshadows all of it because Potiphar noticed everything this guy touches succeeds. So he connected the dots and said, I ought to make him over all of my house because he's a successful, organized man. And I like the blessing that he brings. And so he put him over all of his house. Well, Potiphar had a wife who was promiscuous. And the Bible says that Joseph was handsome. The Bible tells us that there were three men the Bible recognizes as being handsome. There was David... There was Joseph, and there was Absalom. Joseph was one of the three the Bible mentions as being very attractive physically. And this woman cast her eyes on him, and the Bible says she began to tempt him and try to seduce him and would say to him literally and brazenly, come and lie with me. Let's go to bed. Joseph resisted, and Joseph resisted, and Joseph resisted. And the Bible says day after day after day she came at him. He resisted. Finally, she decided to make one final play for him. He came walking into the house, and she said, Come lie with me. And she grabbed his clothes, and he fled and left his clothes in her hand. And this infuriated the woman. Oh, he's a slave. He ought to do whatever I say. So she told a lie about him. 
And the Bible says she went to her husband and said, this man, this Hebrew you brought into the house, he tried to rape me. He tried to assault me. And she made a false report about Joseph. And Potiphar immediately commanded he be thrown into the prison. Now, picture, he had these dreams. He sees himself promoted, exalted. He sees his family bowing down to him. He sees himself blessed with this incredible future. And now everything has gone backwards seemingly. He's thrown down into a prison. And I guarantee you it wasn't Tarrant County Jail. You didn't get three squares a day. This was an Egyptian dungeon. He's thrown into an Egyptian dungeon for something he did not do. How is God letting this happen to me? But the Bible says God was with him in the prison. And God is with you in your hard times. He never promised us a rose garden, but he did promise us grace. He's with you in your dungeon of sorts. He's with you in your trouble. He's with you in your trials. The Bible says God was with him and favored him. Where the, the, the jailkeeper looked and said, everything this guy touches, it prospers. Same thing that Potiphar saw. So he put him over the whole prison. Well, in the meantime, two men get thrown into the prison. One of them is a butler and one of them is a baker. They were servants of Pharaoh, and they did something wrong, and they got thrown into prison. And the Bible says that Joseph got to know them, got to fellowshipping with them, and one day he walks by, and he sees that their countenances are cast down. So he says, what's the matter? Well, we've had dreams, and we can't figure them out. They're very troubling dreams. Well, see, Joseph was learning something in prison. Not only was God with him as far as prospering him and blessing him and making him successful, but God was teaching him his spiritual gift. He was an interpreter of dreams. He was able to listen to your dream and tell you exactly what God meant by it. So these men said, here's our dreams. Joseph, tell them to me. I'll tell you what they meant. They told him. Joseph looked at the baker and said, you're cooked. Because I saw that you're going to be brought up out of here and Pharaoh's going to take your head. He turned to the butler with better news and said, you're going to be delivered from here and restored to your position. And the Bible says it happened exactly like he said. But he told them before they were taken out, he said, please remember me. Remember me. I've been good to you. I've loved you. I've blessed you. Don't forget me because I, I didn't do what I'm in here for. I'm innocent. But it says when they walked out, they forgot all about Joseph. Well, you know the rest of the story. Some time went on. One day, one of the guards came to his door and said, guess what? You need to comb your hair, shave your beard, get on your best clothes because you're about to go in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh? I'm going in front of Pharaoh? What for? What does he want with me? He's had dreams. And he wants you to interpret them. Well, of course, he interpreted them. You know the story of Joseph. And he was placed second only to Pharaoh over all the land of Egypt. But now I want to go back to before his promotion. I want to look at his trouble because you see, Joseph was a survivor. Folks, I want you to know today that you and I are going to have to learn to be survivors in the grace of God and not just survivors, but thrivers. Joseph experienced some trouble, but he survived it all. God doesn't want you and I caving in, putting up the white flag, walking away from church, walking away from fellowship, walking away from prayer, giving up on life. God wants to teach us how to survive and from there to thrive. I want you to think about Joseph for a minute. Joseph didn't have the benefits that we have. He didn't have any of the word of God, 
Moses was still centuries away. So there wasn't Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. Even that, the first five books, he didn't have. He didn't have one written word from God. All he had was a dream from God. A word from God in a dream. He didn't enjoy the constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we do. He had no inward strengthener and encourager like we do because the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the church's birthday. The Holy Spirit certainly was helping him, but he wasn't living in him like he does us. He didn't have a church. He didn't have any fellowship. Think about this. Joseph had not one solitary person with him in Egypt who he could talk to about Jehovah God, who he could go to and say, pray with me about this, or I'm burdened about this, or, or can, can you stand with me in this because I'm really having some trials. No, when he got betrayed, when he got lied about, when all those things happened to him, Joseph had no one. He was alone. Yet Joseph survived, and Joseph thrived. Now, I want to show you today three important tests in his life that we're going to have to pass as well if we're going to fulfill God's plan for our lives. And I want you to stand with me. The forgiveness test, the providence test, and the proving test. Let's talk about the forgiveness test. If anybody had cause to be bitter at other people, it was Joseph. As we have shown, he had been forsaken at home. Brothers hating him so much they couldn't speak nicely to him. Thrown into a well. Plotting to kill him. Selling him into slavery. Forsaken at home. Lied about. Those brothers were so evil. They did such a wicked thing that they took his coat of many colors and they killed an animal and they dipped that coat into the animal's blood and took it to Jacob, his daddy, and said, is this your son's coat? And he said, yes, that's my son's coat. And they said, we found it. It looks like wild beasts have gotten him. And Jacob wailed and Jacob wept. And he was convinced that Joseph had not only died, but died a horrible death, eaten alive by wild animals. And they allowed his dad to believe this for years forsaken at home, falsely accused at work of a heinous crime he didn't commit. That man tried to rape me. That man tried to assault me. Yet we don't detect one scintilla of bitterness against this woman on Joseph's part. She's not even mentioned again by Joseph or in all the word of God. We don't know what became of Potiphar's wife, though I guarantee you she was hiding when he got promoted second only to Pharaoh. <laughs> falsely accused, forsaken at home, forgotten by friends. Listen to the pathos in this statement that Joseph made to this butler and baker. Please be kind enough to mention me to the king and help me get out of this prison, for I am innocent. But the butler, whose life was spared, never gave Joseph another thought. He forgot all about him. Do you know what it feels like to be forgotten, forsaken, falsely accused? He forgave them. His magnificent forgiveness is powerfully reflected in the name he gave to his two children. His first child he named Manasseh, meaning forgetful. Can you imagine him sitting at home at night? Come here, forgetful. Sit on daddy's lap. 
See, in explaining this name, Joseph said it was because, quote, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. God has made me forget. He wasn't saying God had given him divine amnesia. He was saying God has so healed me on the inside from what was done to me that I don't think about it anymore. As we all know, the bitter person never forgets. They live in yesterday's offenses what happened to them is a loop that goes on, continuously turns in the theater of their mind, but not Joseph. Joseph forgave these people who had wronged him, and he passed the forgiveness test. And then the second child he named was Ephraim, meaning God has made me fruitful in the land of my pain. Oh, I love that. You know what God loves to do? He loves to bless you while the devil watches. He loves to bless you, and the devil can't do a thing about it. I think of David. Thou preparest a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. While the devil watches on, God blesses me, and the devil can't do a thing about it. Listen, where the enemy has tried to destroy you and hurt you, and where you have pain, God intends to bless you and make you fruitful in the very land of your affliction. You ought to give God praise for that. I love it. Now, it's important to note that forgetful preceded fruitful. It's only when we forgive that we're free to become fruitful. And that's what the forgiveness test is all about. See, God wants to bless you and me. We all have a gift. We all have a calling. We all, we all have a purpose in life. And it's more than your 9 to 5. It's more than your 401K. It's more uh, than, than where you live or who you married. God has his hand on your life. You are a child of destiny, a child of purpose, a child that God has a plan and a purpose for. And guess what? You're going to be tested with a forgiveness test that is going to come along, that's going to decide whether or not you achieve and attain and apprehend what God has for you. Every person within the sound of my voice will have to pass the forgiveness test at some point in life. Somebody's going to wrong you. Somebody will offend you deeply, probably somebody close to you, somebody you trusted, somebody you counted on, somebody you loved. You remember who kissed Jesus? Judas. The Judas kiss comes to all of us at one time or another. And the, the test is what you do with it. And I want to give you a word today. Some of you are in a forgiveness test right now. Listen, nobody, no place, no thing is worth your destiny in God. Forgive and move on. You say, well, I, I don't feel forgiveness. You're not supposed to feel it. You're mad. The Bible says that your tongue is the rudder of your life. There's this great big ship, but underneath that ship is one little rudder. And it's not the wind blowing the sails that decides the direction of that ship. It's the rudder underneath. And your tongue is the rudder. And what you say is the way your ship is going to go. So you say, so you just say, well, I'm going to obey God. I forgive. And it's not easy. It comes out like castor oil. You don't want to say it. You don't feel it. You want to judge. You want to take vengeance. You want to go against them. But God says, forgive. If anybody could have held bitterness, it was Joseph. 
If he had refused to forgive his betraying brothers or Potiphar's lying wife or the selfish butler and baker, he would have died a bitter, angry old man rather than a prince in Egypt. Who do you need to forgive today? What offense is blocking you from achieving what God has for you? Say it, I forgive them. Say it, I pray for them. Say it, I let them go. Say it, because there is a future ahead of you that is so bright you need shades on to look at it. Now, Joseph passed, and he passed with flying colors. He forgave. But then he came up against the providence test. How in the world? Let me ask you a question. How was Joseph able to stay afloat in such treacherous waters? Betrayed, forsaken, forgotten, lied about. At every turn, he had a disappointment, a disillusionment, a letdown. How did he stay afloat? I'm going to tell you, he had a secret. And I'm going to tell you his secret. And I believe this secret is the reason he was able to forgive like he did. His secret was this. It was his understanding and his acceptance of the providence of God. Say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know what you mean. It's real simple. Providence says God's got everything under control. Providence says no matter what happens to me, God's going to work it together for my good. Providence says that... The devil never says checkmate over my life. God does. The providence says, I know he's got it. So I'm going to trust that no matter what I see, no matter what I experience, no matter what I go through, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of purpose. I'm a child of destiny. I'm a child of promise. And my God is going to make all things work together for good because he's the one in charge. The devil is a dog on a leash. He is not in control. Neither are men. God is provident. Can you say with me, God is sovereign over all things. Joseph tells us he believed this over and over again. He says it when he finally revealed himself to his brothers years after their betrayal. He told them, quote, and now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for, listen, God sent me. Wait a minute, Joseph, you got it wrong. We read the story. God didn't send you. They did. They sold you up the river. They betrayed you. They're the reason you ended up in Egypt. Joseph said, no, you're not looking through the eyes of providence. You're looking through the eyes of the natural. When you look through the eyes of providence, I'm God's child. And I've come to an understanding that they didn't send me here at all. God used their evil for my good. What they meant for evil, God turned it for my good. God wanted me here. His plan was for me to be here. So God just took what people tried to do to me and worked it out for my good. Notice he did not say to them, you sold me into slavery and you sent me here. His testimony was, I know that God sent me here. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord will uphold him with his hand. Our God is a sovereign God. Joseph knew that God had brought him to that place for that hour, for that purpose. 
It's what Mordecai said to Esther. You have come to the kingdom sovereignly and providentially for such a time as this. Church, can I inform you today that here you are. You're washed in the blood of the Lamb. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And you are not here today by mistake. You are right smack dab in the middle of God's plan for your life. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Right now. Every one of you. He told his brothers again, quote, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Those, those brothers who wanted to kill him, he was called to keep alive. Because you see, folks, a famine was coming. A great worldwide famine was in the near future, just around the corner. No one knew it but God. And so God took Joseph and sovereignly used what men meant for evil. God worked it for the good. He sent Joseph into Egypt. He put Joseph second under Pharaoh. And Joseph had a plan to store up seven years worth of food because it was going to be a seven-year famine. So when the famine struck and there was no food anywhere in the world, those brothers traveled to Egypt and they had to bow down to Joseph who had the food, who had the money, who had the lodging, who had everything. And he kept them alive by the plan of God. Joseph saw the bigger picture. Do you? There's always a bigger picture. There's what you see in the natural, and there's what is really going on in the spiritual world. He had been sent by God to Egypt to keep the very brothers alive who had betrayed him, because out of him and their descendants, the Messiah would come. Joseph was called to keep the messianic lineage alive in a time of famine. After his father Jacob died, Joseph again stated his lifelong conviction to his brothers. We all know this one. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now I want to be clear about something. God was not the source of the evil that was perpetrated against Joseph. But Joseph knew that God was in complete control and was working through his painful experiences to bring about his divine purpose for Joseph and for the messianic lineage. What are we saying? We're saying that even when people wrong you, Psalm 76.10 says, God makes even the wrath of man to praise him. God's bigger than your enemies. He's bigger than the devil. He's bigger than your circumstances. What men try to do to you for evil, God will turn it for your good. You can't lose. You are in a win-win because you're following the Lord and the Savior and the Master of life. His name is Jesus Christ, and He has decreed. No matter how bad it looks, and believe me, it couldn't have looked worse. For Can you imagine waking up in a dungeon? Separated from family and friends and your daddy and your home and your posterity, your life for something you didn't do. And could you get up then and praise God? Could you even care what a butler and a baker from Pharaoh were worried about when Joseph said to them, what's the matter? Let me help you. How could he have had that heart? He knew that providence was moving. Romans 8.28 was written, before Joseph, but it was his, or after Joseph, but it was his message. 
Joseph believed Romans 8.28 before it ever came along. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. We know. We know. Do you know it today? We know. God makes everything work together for good. All things. That's a lot of things. Do you know what all means in the Greek? All. That means the good, the bad, the hard, the disillusioning, the disappointing, the, the letdowns, the difficulties, the strains, the stresses, everything, all things. There's not one thing that can come into your life that God does not make bow to his purposes in your life. If you don't get bitter and don't walk away in unbelief, God will work it for your good. God was moving in a way that even Joseph could not have believed. There are hundreds of Bible verses declaring God's sovereignty. Listen to this. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Isaiah 46.10 says, only I can tell you, says God, the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. That's our God talking. Nobody says to God, what are you doing? What do you think you're up to? God says, hey, I do whatever I wish. I'm God. That means he's sovereign. If we really believe this, we would accept life as it comes to us with a lot less complaining. I've discovered that when I really began to get a grip on providence, that it took a lot of stress off of me. It took a lot of stress. Because you just say, Lord, I'm under your hand. You're guiding my steps. You're the Lord of my life. And you are in charge of your universe. So I trust you. Do you? Even when things aren't going right, and you go into the office and there's a pink slip on your desk, or you wake up one day and that person you were with is gone and nothing makes sense and it looks like the devil is in charge and winning the day. Can I tell you, child of God, he never wins the day in the life of a child of God. He may win a few battles, but he will never win the war. Because God is going to work it for your good. Can you say it with me? God is going to work it for my good. Let's try it. God is going to work it for my good. Joseph believed this. So he passed the providence test. But there was one more test, and I'm going to talk about it in closing, the proving test. Listen to what Psalms 105:19 says about Joseph. God sent a man before them, Joseph. So there's the psalmist agreeing with Joseph's take. God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. He was chained up until the time that his word came to pass. Until the time God's dreams came to pass, the word of the Lord proved him. He had to pass the proving test because here's this dream he's got from God, but nothing around him looks like it's being fulfilled. So he had a decision. Do I believe God or do I believe my circumstances? Do I believe God or do I believe what life is saying to me? Do I believe the word of the Lord or do I believe men? Let God be true and every man a liar. The word of the Lord proved him when he was 
betrayed, the word of the Lord rose up and said, my dream will come to pass for you. And he had to choose to believe the word over circumstances. When he was thrown into prison for a lie, he had to believe God. The word of the Lord proved him, refined him. That word proved is used in scripture to describe the refining process of silver or gold. So the Bible reveals that God's word refined, proved, tested, purified Joseph's faith to make it like pure gold. And when you think about it, Joseph was not reaping what he had sown. And I guarantee you this occurred to him because he hadn't betrayed people, yet he was betrayed. And he wasn't being disciplined for sins he had committed because he's one of the few in Scripture who did not commit any outstanding sin. So what was happening in Joseph's life? God's Word was testing and proving and refining his faith, and that's exactly what it does with you and me. Most of you in here have a word from God in your heart that has not yet come to pass in your life. Circumstances tell you one thing, but the word of the Lord tells you something else. And you've got a choice. Do I believe God's word? Do I cling to God's word? Or do I cave in and give in to my circumstances? Joseph said, not me. He gave me a dream. And I trust providence. Do you? The word of the Lord proved him. His family would bow down to him. He'd be in a place of great prominence. Joseph's faith in God's word to him was tested greatly by contrary circumstances. And this proving process, are you ready, lasted around 20 years. It takes God a lifetime to make a man, to make a woman of God. It doesn't happen overnight. Your faith is going to be tested and tried and proven. But God will come through for you. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why would God need to prove my faith? He gave me the faith. Why won't he leave my faith alone? I believe in him. Why all this proving? Why all this? Why would God make me go through this? Well, I'm going to tell you why. James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing, the proving, the trying of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Everyone in here, God wants you perfect, complete, and not lacking in anything in your faith. God wants his children to be overcomers, strong and mature in our faith. People who can face a storm with a smile. Well, I don't face storms with smiles. I shake and I rattle and roll. I, I don't do good with storms. Listen, you get to the place where you face storms with a smile. I was reading 2 Timothy this week, and Paul's at the end of his life. And he just kind of tells Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand, like he's telling him it's 2 o'clock. <laughs> you know why? Because he could smile at a storm. He said, I have finished my course. I've fought the good fight. I've run the race. So I just face my coming execution with a smile. Can you face a storm with confidence that the providence of God is in charge? 
Now, I'm going to ask that again. If everything went haywire, can you face a storm with the confidence that the providence of God is overruling everything that is taking place, and God has it, and he's going to bring you to the other side, and your faith is going to be proven, and you're going to be perfect and mature, lacking in nothing? Do you believe that? So say with me, Joseph passed the forgiveness test. He passed the proving test. He passed the providence test. One day the guard comes down and tells him, you're going up to Pharaoh. Next thing Joseph knows, he's interpreted a dream. He is being given a robe, a ring. And Pharaoh is telling the whole land of Egypt, this guy, when he rides by, bow. And his brothers, we better go get some food. Before they knew it, they don't even recognize him. But they come up to him, we need food. And they all bow down to him. You think he didn't get Holy Ghost bumps right about then? <laughs> they all bowed down to him right there. There's my dream. Well, it took a while to get here. It didn't happen near as quickly as I thought it would. But it happened. They bowed down to him. Jacob... His dad is told that he's alive. That gets me every time. He goes up to him, hugs him, weeps on him. They cry on each other. And then he bowed down. God's word will come to pass. He's provident. Can we stand?